Praise God. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about a subject that is uh, perfectly in line with our time of prayer and fasting. And I've entitled this teaching today, uh, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. So uh, turn to our master text in Luke 11, if you will. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that uh, this title, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, comes from that passage in verse 1, where the disciples of Jesus asked him, to teach them to pray. Now, I think this is an interesting request, by the way, because the Jews, uh, or these, uh, the disciples, rather, were faithful Jews who were asking this. And I think that's significant because, you know, they had the, the law and the writings of Moses. They had the writings of David, the Psalms, that are full of prayers. And they had the scribes and the Pharisees who were experts in the law and who loved to pray flowery prayers standing on the street corners. So, see, these disciples were no stranger to prayer. I find it interesting that they were asking this question, Lord, teach us to pray, because they saw something in Jesus that compelled them. They saw something in Jesus that compelled them. See, they knew, being around Jesus, that there was another level in prayer that they were not yet experiencing. Even with the law, even with the Psalms, even with the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew that there was another level in prayer that they were not yet experiencing as demonstrated by the supernatural things that Jesus was doing. And so they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And while Jesus does answer that request with the passage that we're about to read, um, the fact is, Jesus' entire earthly ministry was a lesson in effective prayer. So the lessons he taught did not stop at this passage that we're about to read. But let's go ahead and read that passage, and then we'll go on to some uh, other principles of prayer um, covered in other places in the Scripture. So stand with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of the Word. So, 11 verses this morning, Luke 11, verses 1 through 10, or 10 verses rather. The words of Jesus the Master. Verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed with me, and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise the Lord. Well, there are some things that we're going to learn about that passage and even beyond that passage, but, but let's begin with uh, the first principle that Jesus teaches about prayer in that passage. And that short little segment there that's known as the Lord's Prayer, that's where we're going to begin learning about some of these principles. Now, by the way, before I, I proceed here, I know that prayer seems like such an old, 
and not very exciting topic to talk about. I mean, what Christian doesn't pray, right? But how many of you believe that you could get better results in prayer? Yeah? Amen. So that's why we're talking about this. So don't tune out on me. You're going to learn some things that maybe you've never known before. All right? So first of all, first principle is start with worship. Start with worship. And, and that is um, magnified there with that first verse of what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. So what does that word hallowed mean? Well, in the Greek, that word means holy honored, to be set apart, and consecrated. To be holy, honored, to be set apart, and consecrated. So uh, we're, we're basically coming before the Lord and honoring His greatness. Okay, And when we start prayer this way, we're acknowledging that God is the Holy One, totally set apart from every other being. He's the Creator, and we are are the created. Okay, you, you, you need to get that little simple elementary concept right there. He is the creator and we are the created. And you know what? It's just the right thing to do to express our thanksgiving to God for all the things that he's already done for us and the things that he will do. See, if you aren't thankful, that's going to be very problematic in your prayer life right from the start. So we start with thanksgiving. All right? So worship then puts the relationship in its proper perspective because we are humbling ourselves before God. Worship puts the relationship in the proper perspective because we are humbling ourselves before Him. You know, there's something about true heartfelt worship that requires a humbling of oneself. There's something about true heartfelt worship that requires a humbling of oneself. I remember as a teenager, um, the church that I was coming up in um, was much like this one in some respects, where people were pretty demonstrative in worship, where people raised their hands and, and shouted and, and clapped their hands, you know, things like that, things that we see in the scriptures. I mean, it wasn't too wild or anything, it was just stuff that we saw in the scriptures, Okay, so it was more demonstrative worship like what we see here. Um, but I was pretty prideful in high school. And um, I was never terribly inspired to express myself in worship like that. But after my six-year prodigal experience, uh, I came back to the church a pretty broken young man. And guess what? There's something about the breaking Hear what I'm about to say. There's something about the breaking that kills that pride and makes you softer in God's presence. Yeah? That's right, brother. And it was then that I found it very easy at that point to raise my hands and kneel and express myself you know, vocally and physically in worship to express my gratitude for what God had done for me. Amen. See, I was experiencing His grace in a fresh new way, and it changed the way that I related to God. Let me say that again. I was experiencing God's grace in a fresh new way, and it changed the way that I related to God. See, when I was smug and self-righteous, I didn't really have that, that, that way that I related to God that I did 
afterward when I came back very broken. And then that changed everything. That changed everything. So I, don't, I want to encourage you today to get alone with God daily. And look, if you're um, uncomfortable expressing yourself physically in public worship, well, at least do it privately. Because, listen to this, humility before God always expresses itself physically. I want to say that again. Humility before God in the scriptures. I'm not talking about just the M.O. of Pentecostal churches. That's not, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, if you look in the scriptures, humility before God always expresses itself physically. And that's why you see that, again, encouraged all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So again, if you, you haven't yet come to the place of being comfortable expressing yourself physically in worship in the public setting, at least start in your private time. And I think that you'll find that as you exercise that, you'll find a new element of depth in your relationship to God and your worship to God and, and in your prayer life as well. Praise the Lord. Let's go on and talk about some uh, other elements of that Lord's Prayer. I'm going to talk to you here about the merits of audacity in just a moment, but let's read through the rest of the Lord's Prayer as presented there in Luke 11. Um, he goes on to say in verse 2, your kingdom come. And if you read the Lord's Prayer in different books, uh, the book of Matthew, it goes on to add, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Verse 3, give us each our daily bread. So it's talking about praying for your daily needs to be met. That's, that's a very legitimate thing to pray. And forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation and then again, in Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is, in that version of the Lord's Prayer, it goes on to add, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, well, Jesus then goes on in the latter verses in that master text that we read, he goes on to talk about the importance of perseverance in prayer, that we should not give up in prayer. And, and in that passage, remember that Jesus used the example of going to a friend's house at midnight and asking for a loaf of bread. Now, how many people go to their friend's house at midnight and ask for bread, for goodness sake? Why did Jesus use what may have seemed like a ridiculous example to make his point in this parable? Well, let's read verse 8 before we answer that question. And I'm going to quote this. I just read to you out of the 1984 version of the NIV, which is my preference, but the, uh, the 2011 version, which I typically, I don't prefer the 2011 version because of the, some of the revisions they've made, but one of the areas of the 2011 revision of the NIV really got right is this right here. I've highlighted it in yellow, but let's go ahead and read it in context. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of Friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And that's actually the, uh, the accurate way to translate that, because that shameless audacity there is the word anadea in the Greek, and it means shamelessness, shameless persistence is what that means. So again, why did Jesus use what may have seemed like a ridiculous example 
to make the point that he was making in this parable? Well, because, folks, there's two important parallels that this demonstrates in prayer. Number one, the person's confidence in the strength of the relationship of his friend is why he used that example. If you can go to a friend's house at midnight and get them out of bed to give you a, a loaf of bread, you have a pretty strong confidence in that friendship, don't you? I mean, you're, you're not just going to go to some acquaintance and knock on their door at midnight and ask for a loaf of bread. You're, you're not going to do that. You're going to go to somebody who you really trust in that friendship. There's a strength in that relationship, isn't there? So that's one point right there, that there's a trust and, and a confidence in the strength of the relationship with his friend. And likewise, there was a willingness there, that I should say an unwillingness there, to be turned away. Those are the two parallels that we see in that parable of someone going to a friend's house at midnight and asking for a loaf of bread. The confidence and the strength of the relationship and the unwillingness to be turned away. That's what Jesus was teaching us with that parable. Praise God. All right? Now, I want to go on to another principle here that may be foreign to some of you, but for some of you that have been around for a while and have heard me teach on prayer and faith, this is not an unfamiliar concept, but it may be for some of you who are a little bit newer. So we're going to talk about the power of decreeing by faith. And our master text for that is going to be Mark 11. You don't have to turn to it. I put it up on the screen for you. Let's read it together. This is Jesus speaking the next day, verse 12 of Mark 11. The next day when they had left Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if there was any fruit on it. But when he reached it, he found nothing on it except leaves since it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. And his disciples heard this statement. Reading on, verse 20. As they were walking back in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Peter remembered it and said, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And then Jesus speaks. Verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus said to them. Truly I tell you that if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and has no doubt in his heart but believes that it will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have, present tense, received it, and it will be yours. Now, it's worth pointing out here that some theologians and translators now believe that verse 22 has been poorly translated. Uh, that little word in there, in that verse uh, that says, have faith in God, that one little word can change the entire meaning of that statement if it's not translated correctly. And actually, a more careful analysis of the Greek would indicate that it should read, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. As a matter of fact, the Young's literal translation and the Aramaic Bible in plain English translated exactly that way. In fact, the Aramaic Bible in plain English uh, translates it like this, may the faith of God be in you. 
May the faith of God be in you. In other words, don't just have faith in God as in just believing that God exists and that he wants to answer your prayers, but go beyond that by exercising the God kind of faith. Now, what does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. To be imitators of God. We're to imitate God in all that we do. Because he's given us an example. All right, so then let's find out how God operates. In Romans 4, verses 16 and 17, it's verse 17 that we typically like to quote, but I'm going to give you a little bit of context here before we get to um, verse, uh, the latter end of verse 17 there. So let's read in verse 16. Uh, Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all, not meaning God the father, but our father in the faith and our example of walking in faith. Okay? That's what that means. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father, this is, Speaking of Abraham here, uh, God speaking to Abraham. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He, Abraham, is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. Then it goes on to describe God and what he's like and how he operates. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's how God operates. He calls things that are not as though they were. This is God's method to call into existence things that did not exist before. Okay, then, did the disciples follow suit? Is that an example that we're supposed to follow? Uh, We can take our cue from the disciples who did follow suit. So let's find out how they operated. This is Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. This is a familiar story for you, but very pertinent here. We're going to read all 10 verses. One afternoon, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those entering the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked directly at him, as did John. Look at us, said Peter. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up, and at once the man's feet and ankles were made strong. He sprang to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that the disciples didn't even pray for the guy. They didn't. They, they made a declaration. They spoke over him. They called into existence things that did not exist before. Now, I want you to notice something else here that the disciples of Jesus did not pray. Well, Lord, if it be thy will, would you please heal this man? But your ways are higher than our ways, so we will accept your will, whatever it is. No, they already knew the will of God. See, see, 
they had seen Jesus appropriating the will of God by healing everyone he touched. There wasn't a single person that Jesus turned away. Jesus never said, now God is teaching you something through this illness, so no, I'm not going to heal you this time. Come back on a different day, maybe. He never once did that. That whole thing, by the way, is a man-made religious idea to exonerate ourselves for our lack of faith and our lack of results in prayer. One or two people agreed with that. Are you okay? I don't want to step on your toes too much. I'm stepping on my own toes in this teaching, by the way. Okay? How many of you know that, that pastors and preachers get into the Word sometime, we start preparing something, we were like, ugh, wow. You know, I really need to step up my game in that area. So I'm preaching to myself here this morning. You, you know, I haven't got it all figured out yet. And, and uh, I've yet, a, yet to bat a thousand when it comes to, to healing. But as Andrew Walmack likes to say, um, I haven't arrived, but at least I've left. All right? And what that means is I'm not operating in perfect faith yet, but at least I'm not sitting back and not trying to learn and grow and get better results, even if it means I make a few mistakes along the way. Okay? You know, listen, 100% of the people that you don't pray for don't get a touch from God through you. Praise God. See, if you pray for a hundred people and one gets healed, that's better than nothing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah? See, I'd rather make 99 mistakes but get results one time than to never try and to never get any results than congratulate myself for my supposed humility by accepting some man-made religious idea of what God's will is. Are you okay so far? Okay. See, in these perilous times, folks, God needs people who are bold enough to get up off of our spiritual backsides and start getting some results in prayer for a change. Because there's a lot of people out there who need what you have. And there's, there's a, a nation that needs what we have. See, it's time to be doers of the word, not just people who talk about religious ideas but never really do anything with it. All right, then, let's turn our attention back to Jesus um, and his example. See, this is God's method to call into existence things that did not exist before. So did Jesus follow suit then? Well, in going back to Mark 11, we can see that he did. Um, he cursed a fig tree and essentially called it dead, and nothing appeared to happen right away. And the next day, the results of those words had visibly manifested. Now, uh, I want us to go on and uh, read um, uh, another part out of Mark 11 here, and starting in verse 22. We read this already. Let's read it again. Have faith in God, or have the faith of God. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you that if anyone says to this mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and has no doubt in his heart. There's a qualifier right there. But believes that it will happen. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that 
You have received it and it will be yours. Man, there's a lot there. But folks, if this isn't true, why is it in the Bible? Here's what most of American Christianity does. We lower the word of God to match our lack of experience and that becomes our theology. Rather than raising our experience up to match the word of God and allowing the word of God in its integrity to be our theology. Oh, okay, are, are, you, are you following me? Okay, I know I'm toppling some religious cows, but these are religious cows that need to be toppled. If we're going to get results in prayer, we have to topple these religious cows. And not just pat ourselves on the back that we're following some man-made religious idea and exonerate ourselves from any responsibility in our lack of prayer or our lack of results in prayer. Um, Now, by the way, uh, many people might say of Jesus' miracles, well, that was Jesus, Andy. He was the Son of God. Yes, but Jesus is our example in all things, ladies and gentlemen. See, Jesus himself said right here in this passage that we could have whatever we ask for in prayer and if we don't doubt, if we have faith and don't doubt. And, and the disciples, by the way, went on to do the same things. As a matter of fact, it was Jesus who also said, brace yourself for this one, John 14, 12, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Oh my goodness. That puts the responsibility right back on us, doesn't it? See, we need to have faith in God, but we also need to have the faith of God. And if we're going to have the faith of God, we really need to learn how God operates. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus did not doubt. Now, I realize that we're not Jesus and that our faith isn't as pure as his was. He started out his earthly ministry with 40 days of fasting, no food and just water. Try that. And I think that that was one reason that he operated in the power that he did. Jesus didn't doubt. He had absolute confidence in, listen, he had absolute confidence in his delegated authority. And why do I use that word delegated there? Was because Jesus, you got to get this right here, because this again is going to topple some religious cows right now. Jesus set aside his divinity when he was on the earth, according to Philippians 2. He was still God in flesh, but he set aside the rights of his divinity when he was on the earth, according to Philippians 2. Philippians 2 says, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but set aside his divinity. So, therefore, Jesus did not operate as God when he was on the earth. He operated as a man. Don't throw tomatoes at me. I'm just just preaching the word. This is right out of the word. You'll notice that, that when I teach, I bombard you with scripture. And there's a reason for that, because this is not the gospel of Andy. But I'm teaching you proper doctrine. 
And a lot of this doctrine has been watered down and, and eliminated completely in our modern church age. Okay? I'm teaching you proper doctrine, so you, you learn to get results. Okay? Um, so, again, we need to operate as God operates and, and operate as Jesus operates. And, and, again, Jesus didn't operate as God. He operated as a man. And the power that, that Jesus operated in was in the faith of his delegated authority given to him by the Father. And Jesus, once again, is our example. You see, Jesus never said before he performed a miracle, now folks, I'm God, so don't try this at home. He never, ever did that. He never did that. As a matter of fact, instead, he was trying to get his disciples to operate like he did. And when they failed, he got aggravated with them on more than one occasion. Jesus got aggravated with his disciples when they did not operate in the same power and authority that he did. And you know what he said to his disciples when they failed to heal a demon-possessed boy? Listen to these words. Oh, perverse and unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? And I wonder how many of us including me at times, that he would say, oh, perverse and unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with this? Until you step up and start operating in the delegated authority and power that I have given you. I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. I put on my steel-toed shoes this morning just for this teaching. (laughs) Just kidding, they're not steel-toed, but figuratively anyway. So, yes, Jesus wants us to operate in the same delegated authority and power that had been given to him by the Father. And the the disciples, by the way, did eventually get it, but it was after Jesus had been taken up to heaven. And he wants us to get it too. Uh, Folks, listen, this teaching, once again should be challenging all of us right now because I don't know, even though I've preached on this a lot, I don't know a single person in this congregation who is operating in a mind-blowing, supernatural, delegated power that Jesus operated in. We're still learning and growing, including myself. So that's why we revisit this from time to time. Until I see us, until I see me, until I see all this church operating in this kind of delegated power and authority and miraculous power, we're just going to keep revisiting this until you get it. Okay? Kenneth Hagin, when he was still alive, I believe he spent a year and a half every Sunday preaching on just Mark 11. And somebody approached him one time and said, when are you going to start preaching on something else? And he said, when you get this. <laughs> when you get this, we'll move on to something else. So he wants us to get it, folks. Now, on that note, um, God wants us to get to the place, ladies and gentlemen, that we have full confidence in our authority that's been delegated to us by Jesus. And that's why we're talking about this. And there's so much more to say about this. I'm I'm just giving you kind of a 30,000-foot view today, and we'll get more into this next week. But for today, I want to give you one more brief example before we move on to something else in in our service here. 
So the next principle I, I want to teach you this morning is to pray according to God's will. Our basis for this is 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence, you could say it this way, this is the faith that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So always pray according to God's word. Why? Because God's word represents his will. God's word represents his will. So when you pray prayers according to God's word, you know you've automatically arrived at a place of praying according to his will. Praise God. Let me give you a summary real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to put these principles into practice. So the first principle, then, that we've covered this morning is to start with worship, because that represents humbling yourself. Start with worship. The next principle is to pray with shameless audacity, which means perseverance and persistence. See, you are a child. In that parable in Luke 11, um, it, it talked about a friend going to his his other friend's house at midnight, but you have a relationship far above just a friend. You're a child. You're a child. So, so we can have shameless audacity in our requests because we're a child. And there's a certain degree of confidence that we have in that relationship. And, and I'll say it this way. I'll give you two examples of this. I want to make this summary short, but this, these examples just came to my mind. When um, my two older kids were very young, we visited the house of, of, of a friend of mine. I told you about that friend, Phil Gilbert, who passed away uh, a few weeks ago. He was a very close friend of mine. So our family went to visit their family. And um, Phil and his wife, Kathy, were just such gracious hosts. And they made us feel so at home there. As a matter of fact, so at home. Luke, my older son, when he was still a little guy, he went to the refrigerator and just opened it up and just started peering in to help himself. And I had to call him down. And, but, but he felt so comfortable there. He was so at home there that he just felt a confidence in that relationship. Well, I, I make myself at home here. And when I'm in my house, I, I go get whatever I want in, in my refrigerator. And so I had, to, you know, I had to rein that back just a little bit because not appropriate for uh, when you go to somebody's house for the first time. But, you know, my kids are the same way. I mean, they'll ask stuff, and sometimes they won't ask with even that much humility. Like, Dad, you know, I know I haven't been that great today, but could I have a... No, they don't come to me like that. Because they come to me with a shameless audacity sometimes. Because they're my kids. And there's a familiarity there, and they know my character. They know how much I love them. And so um, they'll, they'll ask with just shameless audacity, hey, can I have this? Sure. And sometimes it's not even, it's not even a request sometimes. It's, hey, Dad, I'm, I'm going to go next door. Uh, we live next door to, uh, to, to Henry, Donna's dad. And um, Drew loves to go over there. And he'll say, Dad, I'm going next door. Okay, I'll see you in a few minutes, son. And so that's that shameless audacity that we're talking about. You approach God with the confidence that you are his beloved. You're his child. You don't have to grovel in the dust. Yes, approach him with humility. Approach him with worship. But at the same time, you're a child. So you can approach him with a certain degree of confidence and, quote, shameless audacity. 
which also refers to perseverance and persistence in prayer. You can persist in prayer. You can rattle God's cage. You can get in his face. And that's basically what he's asking you to do. Okay? Third summary point, decree by faith in accordance with God's word, and which is his will. Okay, that's all we're going to cover today. But we're going to put these principles in practice today, and we're going to have a little bit of a prayer time for our nation right now and put some of these principles that we've learned today into practice. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we have several people here who have been assigned to pray for various aspects of our nation. And in these prayers, you're going to hear both requests, but you're also going to hear decrees and declarations right out of the Word of God. Decrees and declarations. And again, I want to emphasize that these decrees and de declarations are right out, of the, right out of the Bible. And by the way, if anyone else wants to pray uh, that has not been assigned something, to pray for this morning. I welcome you to come up to the microphone and you're uh, certainly welcome to um, add your own prayers to this because um, we need to pray for this nation, don't we? Now, you can make these decrees and declarations over various aspects of your personal life. And by the way, I want to say this before we do this. You know, the decrees and declarations that we see in the Bible, most of them were over individuals. You know, when Jesus prayed for uh, the little girl that was, she was dying of fever when he was approached to come and heal this man's little daughter, Jesus went and noticed that he didn't even pray for that little girl. He said, little girl, I say to you, get up. As a matter of fact, if you review all of Jesus' healings, not once did he ever really pray over the people that he healed. He always declared and decreed over them. Every time. Every time. Look it up. Look it up. The disciples followed suit and did much of the same thing. So did the Apostle Paul. Okay? So they decreed and declared over things. The Apostle Paul. I need to be careful. I'm going to go off on part two already. So I promise. Give me just another minute here. Um, the Apostle Paul, he had this demon-possessed girl that was following him around and really disrupting his ministry. And finally he had enough, and he turned around and he said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. He didn't say, Lord, would you please deliver me from this thorn in my flesh? He said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. He had that much confidence in the delegated authority that he had in, uh, that, that Jesus had given him. So that's part of what you're going to hear today in these prayers, decrees, and declarations. And uh, I'm going to start us out here. So um, I just encourage you, take whatever posture that you want to take. Uh, if you want to stand as a show of honor to the Lord while we're praying, if you want to kneel, if uh, sometimes I'm a, I'm a pacer when I pray. I like to pace and walk the floor sometimes when I pray. If you want to do that, that's perfectly fine as well. If, if you want to sit where you are, that's fine too. I just encourage you to not disengage while these people are praying. Let's be in agreement in prayer. Because another principle of prayer, by the way, that we really didn't cover in the teaching, is that when two or more agree as touching anything, they have what they've asked. Now, these decrees, by the way, we're going to be, de be decreeing over our nation. And sometimes, because of our level of faith and how it's growing 
and also because there's a lot of working parts that have to be set in place before you see the results, you may not see immediate results to your decrees and your declarations and your prayers, but hang in there, keep doing it. Shameless audacity, persistence, okay? Don't give up. You keep doing that, and if enough people keep doing that, eventually we see great results in prayer. Praise God. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.